This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Shirley. The morning after the night before, well, he survived, sort of. It's quite bad, 140 Tory MPs voting against Boris Johnson's vote of confidence. How did the day actually unfold? And our big thing today, I spent the whole day in Parliament. It's an old school Red Box Podcast. I spent the whole day in Parliament chronicling what was happening, counting down to that result and bringing you reaction after. So that's coming up on our big thing. First, though, as ever, we kick off with the Economist panel. David Ivanovich is still away at his spa break. It's been a very long time. Uh, so we've still got Daniel Finkelstein, joined this week by Patrick Kitt. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, every time. Uh, at this time, every Tuesday, we always pitch two of our favourite columnists. Normally it's Finkelvich, but David Ivanovich is still on the longest spa break ever. Uh, but Danny Finkelstein's here. Hello, Danny. Hello. And joining us again, Patrick Kidd, Times Diary our editor. How are you? Morning, Matt. Uh, you're on the wrong mic. I did this earlier. Mic, Don't worry. They've, they've, why, there, I we why they, there we are. There the we little are, there red are. light should have given it away. Yeah, there we are. It's nice to have you both here. Uh, no votes of confidence against you, Patrick. It's fine. <laughs> uh, what should we possibly talk about? Danny, your reaction to the result. 148 Conservative MPs voting they don't have confidence in the Conservative Prime Minister. Well, one or two people have said that this is the worst possible result for the Conservative Party. And I don't agree with that, actually, because my view is the worst possible result would have been nobody voting no confidence in the Prime Minister. The the truth is that it shows at least 148 people get it, <laughs> um, even if that's not enough. Obviously, it's not the best result for the Conservative Party, which would have been for more than 180 Conservative members debated against them, or at least in my uh, view. Uh, but the idea that the Conservative Party is, be, is better being stuck um, is, is, is stuck now, and um, it's, it's sort of better to be stuck than to be completely lacking in reality or in relationship to voters' views. I don't agree with that view. So um, I, I was actually encouraged by the fact that um, 148 people, it was roughly what I'd expected, actually. My estimate was 140. Um, I'd just and like to point out, I did tweet that I thought it was going to be 150. That's very before good. Before the result happened. Based on nothing at all. Lots of Tory MPs I saw, journalists, they said, oh, I've got a spreadsheet. And they were, they were literally going through and just guessing yes. which way. Well, actually, you know, Sam Friedman, to be fair, the, the, um, who does a lot of tweeting, but uh, has also been a Conservative advisor in, uh, in the past, he, he guessed, he said 160, actually, based on using yeah. a spreadsheet. But I, I don't think, I think some of it was guesswork. And I, I looked at that 
looked at some of the other evidence and used it to, to get yeah, about yeah. 140, yeah. Well, the signs were there right in front of us because, uh, as Greg Hands, who MP for Danny's <laughs> Football Club, tweeted last night, the um, bus stop outside Parliament has two bus services, one saying 148 and one saying 211, which were exactly... <laughs> it, it was there, if only you knew where to look. Um, the 148, by the way, is a 24-hour service, so that suggests it can vary. <laughs> um, I, I didn't think it would be that high, but what's really interesting is that it's a it's a coalition this isn't a group of disaffected people on one issue or from one wing of the party where when andrew bridgen and steve baker can be up against damian green and and uh, tobias elwood um you know he he's, he's got problems and i got i thought the reaction was ludicrous i don't mind the lies i don't mind the overspinning and and the saying this is an extraordinary result i am the greatest leader but boris johnson and a few others james cleverly and and, and that ministerial misnomer came out and said this showed he was actually more popular with the MPs than in 2019. This is because he got 51%, if you remember, in the final round ballot to see who went towards the grassroots in a three-horse race in which he only needed to come second. And, the other and to get 59% is therefore shows that he is much more popular than he was. But, I mean, Somebody obviously provided it. By the way, because I, I used balls. to be my job, which was to provide, <laughs> to provide politicians with sheets which you could read off in what, whatever... You've done that as well, yeah, but, Patrick. But you had to be credible. Um, uh, we worked together, <laughs> and he used to do that too. So uh, the, the, um, we provide these sheets, and it's if this result, you say this. If the result is this, you say yeah. that. And one of them undoubtedly was, if you get this amount, use this argument, right? So they all used it. And like you, I thought to myself, my God, that's not a particularly good argument. The, the most important well, what, thing about what, these... One of the problems with that argument, that, that he's got more the support of more Tory MPs now than he did in the Tory leadership contest, is that the, the Conservative Party, it's not the same people. The, the main reason, the main reason why it doesn't matter. Those that have left and I, new the, ones the, have arrived. The only reason why I wasn't concerned about that argument is it, it, because it's not true. It doesn't really matter, or is it because it's fundamentally irrelevant? It doesn't matter. I'm worried right? they might believe so, it's true. Well, who, who's going to believe? Who care? Who who cares enough about politics to follow that statistic and think about it? Who thinks it's convincing? Literally nobody. That's and true. and the most important thing about the result is that it is what it is, right? Mm. So a lot of the time, it's a bit like we we used to have this one this thing in central office where we were very concerned, conservative central office where I worked, whether the the focus groups would be kept secret, and I kept saying. All the focus groups tell us is what people are already thinking. You yes. can't keep that secret from them because they think it already. So it does. If it appears in the newspaper that they think it, it doesn't change anything because they think it anyway. Not um, least as the conservative slogan at the time is, "Are you thinking so what we're thinking?" The truth is, he doesn't <laughs> enjoy more support than he enjoyed when he became leader, and it doesn't matter whether he says he does or not because he doesn't. Yeah, and we've got a couple of tests coming up, of course, in in a couple of weeks. The, the by elections in two very different parts of the country. Different electorates could be won by two different parties. Will be won by two uh, different parties, by the way. I mean, and then, and then it depends yeah. how the, how the party then responds to that um, to losing yes. two by elections. I, I can't think there could be any member of parliament who voted in this leadership election um, who would vote differently after the by elections. They must surely have l seen that the Conservative Party are going to lose not just Wakefield but also the other one. Right. Um, that's that. That seems to me completely obvious. Um, and if they hadn't, if they had not factored in the fact that the Conservative Party is going to get hammered in that by-election, then then that they really don't deserve to be members of Parliament at all. But what we're going to get is is the, the scene of Boris Johnson stoutly defending the rules. He'll say, I, "I've won a confidence vote, so the rules say <laughs> I can." And you know how I like rules, so I can't be challenged for another year. Yes. And it depends how Graham Brady and the 1922 committee come back with different rules. Do you think that that will happen, Danny, or do you think that Conservative MPs will have to get, be slightly more creative about how they 
express their discontent. No, I think uh, the 1992 committee will not change the rules. Uh, that um, the only moment of real danger that now lies ahead of him in the next year is the Privileges Committee. I think in those circumstances in which he he might get suspended from Parliament, that does present, as it did before this vote, um, a challenge for him. The truth is he is stronger after this vote than he was before it. Everyone said, thinks he's weaker, he's not. It's revealed how great the strength of feeling was against him and it's revealed that it wasn't as much as half the party. And as a result of it, he's got more lock-in um, against bad by-election results and the Privileges Committee than he had before. He's still vulnerable to both of those things. He's less vulnerable than he was. Not more vulnerable, but less vulnerable. So the demonstration that there was this again, the support against him um, does not does not weaken him, it strengthens him because it gives him extra locks against this happening again. Do you think there might be uh, a lot of letters from constituency party chairman and things like that after what weren't very good at local election results? Lots of people sure. lost their seats and, you know, if there's a stampede calling for him to go? You've got to, you've got to ask yourself the question, what will be, what more will there be and what will cause there to be more? Some members of the cabinet, Penny Morden, for instance, might well, go ahead of a reshuffle. That's true. That's but the, only, the only thing we didn't see yesterday was ministerial resignations. It's, yeah, I mean, look, it was a very big factor in it. But why would they, if they didn't resign well, yeah, that's true. yesterday yeah, yeah. or before or in the run-up to it, um, at a moment when, by the way, one or two of them or a group of them could have killed off the Prime Minister's leadership, that's quite clear, um, because he only, you know, he needed 20 people to, to go the other way. Um, 20... Okay, thirty actually. I, I'm I'm wrong. Thirty people. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's thirty people to go there. But I think that could have been achieved, and it wasn't achieved because nobody did do it. Why would they do it tomorrow? What they didn't do yeah. yesterday? There's there's talk of there being an upcoming reshuffle, um, and and I suppose that w might provoke people into action if they think they're going to lose their jobs. Yeah, but you know you're much weaker if you. Uh, I mean, uh, so I don't see them doing that in advance of that reshuffle, and uh, and I, once that's the reshuffle has happened. You lose the power to do it. Yes. So I, I, they've all made that choice. And and it's a choice that, by the way, you know, it's one of these things where if you if you look at purely their own interests, in most cases, it made a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. They're, first of all, in the case of everybody who wouldn't be a cabinet minister if Boris Johnson was not leader of the party. Then secondly, in, in the case of people who would only be um, maybe slightly better cabinet minister if John Boris Johnson wasn't in the leader, who aren't going to gain much. And then there are those people who would go out on a limb, oppose uh, Boris Johnson, and then find after that he won anyway, and they're out of the cabinet. Uh, so therefore, it was telling that the only person who was willing to oppose him uh, at a sort of national level were Andrea Leadsom, not in the cabinet, and Jeremy Hunt, not in the cabinet. Yeah, I was quite intrigued by um, the tweet from Robert Buckland, the former Justice Secretary, who, who was one of those who, who doesn't have a government job, who, who supported Johnson. He's got a seat that's got a 6,000 majority and was a Labour up until 2010, so might be under threat if, if there's a Labour surge. But, you know, perhaps he has been offered, say some kind words, and he'll be back in the Cabinet. Otherwise, he would certainly have a grievance, having been rather unjustly sacked to save Dominic Raab. Uh, when, awesome. when I was in Parliament yesterday, uh, one, uh, I bumped up a, uh, one MP who said uh, almost everyone in Parliament at some point had been offered uh, business secretary. Um, uh, with the exception, possibly, of the current incumbent, uh, Kwasi Kwarteng. There's been a very small reshuffle, actually, because the only resignation we did have was a parliamentary aid, a PPS to... Uh, John Lamont. Uh, John Lamont. Uh, at the... Oh, no, this is the minute... 
Oh, no, no, no this, this isn't. This is a junior minister at the Ministry of Justice. So Christopher Bellamy QC uh, has been giving a peerage uh, and will take up that, that job in, the, in the, the House of Lords. So that's obviously, there's a, there's a job going and Boris Johnson's decided to fill it with a new peer rather than... Um, well, no, he, that was, that was sort of the resignation of Lord Wolfson over the party. So he has to have a justice. Oh, he has so to have a justice. He has tiny, to have a justice. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that he didn't appoint Martin Howe. There was some speculation in legal circles that he'd appoint the ultra-Eurosceptic uh, Martin Howe to that job because Martin Howe wouldn't resign over anything and would then be in Parliament to push on the Bill of Rights and to push on uh, the, the uh, Northern Ireland Protocol. But he hasn't obviously not decided not to do that. Where does this go now then, uh, gents? If Boris Johnson is, as Danny says, in a, in a more secure position than he was before because at least this has removed a major threat to him uh, that would have gone before... Uh, does he go all the way through to the next election? Um, somebody, uh, somebody got in touch and said, asked quite an interesting question I wanted to put to you. Uh, Mike says, I wonder about the sanity of a political party that runs a confidence vote with having a, out having an alternative leader ready to go. The nation will now be in a state of suspended animation, waiting for Boston to do the honourable thing. Good luck with that. I sincerely hope the new leader emerges from the Westminster weeds, ready to go to ensure that the UK uh, can cope with all the crises waiting to hammer us. And that's, I mean... The, the decline of Rishi Sunak earlier this year will have played a pretty decisive uh, role in the outcome last night, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it was important, although I think Boris Johnson would still have won, probably, unless Rishi Sunak had taken the decision to resign, in which case he might have increased his uh, chances of getting rid of Boris Johnson but reduced his own chances of winning the leadership. So uh, and now he's in a position whereby he couldn't achieve either of those things by, um, by resigning. So... Um, you know, everyone has answering this question, where are we going now, as if as if there was an answer to that question. Maybe we're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, so so um, the the answer to uh, to to it is Boris Johnson was Prime Minister the day before yesterday, and he's Prime Minister tomorrow, and he's going to go on being Prime Minister. And all we've done is learn roughly to... We've got a better measurement of the scale of opposition to Boris Johnson um, than before. Um, apart from that, um, I don't think that we're likely to have major changes. And obviously, uh, you know, the, the question was right. Um, waiting for Boris Johnson to do the honourable thing, uh, that is not the way that he works. Um, it's not, you know, I don't, I don't mean, I, that sounds too arch. I don't, I don't mean it, it. He doesn't run by these kind of, he's more focused than that, if you want to use a positive term, or more ruthless if you want to use a less positive term. He's not going to resign because people think he ought yeah, that's just not the way he was built. Well, I mean, the biggest loss is the world of Shakespearean scholarship because Johnson's book is now going to have to wait another couple of years. <laughs> but uh, I, I wonder what the Labour Party does next. Well, that was going to be my next question: Is the Labour Party have uh, they should suit them to keep him? Well, exactly. This is the slightly ridiculous thing: is the the, the Labour MP, oh, he must do the right thing. He's got to do the honourable thing and go. This is the this is much the last thing the Labour Party wants. The Conservative Party being able to go into another election, being the the the, the face of change. They're going to have a vote of no confidence, or something like that, isn't that? In the comments, Labour have said there's going to be a yeah. vote on, on does probity matter or something yes. like that. But but whenever that happens, the, the, the Tories are never going to give them a scalp. So the 148 who backed Boris in this are not going to vote with Labour to, because it won't make any difference effectively. So it just it just I I do feel sorry for some of those Labour members who voted overwhelmingly to get rid of Jeremy Corbyn and were stuck with it. And there's nothing they could do to get... And they look at the Tories and they think, well, you had a chance to get rid of yours and you've not gone for it. I think that um, 
Look, Labour's in a fundamentally strong position because the electorate has turned against the Conservative Party and the Conservative Party's decided to keep its leader um, and actually didn't have an alternative leader. It's heading into a very difficult economic position with low leadership approval ratings and a poor economy. That makes it difficult to fight the election. I don't know about anybody else, and maybe this is a bit unfair. I was struck by how poor Keir Starmer was in his response. I thought it was... um, (coughs) The staging of it was poor. Uh, I thought the words weren't very good. Uh, I thought his delivery wasn't great. Um, I thought he sounded more robotic than um, than before. I, I don't hold the particularly negative view of him. It's difficult to get excited about him one way or the other, to be truthful. Um, you know, I don't think he's ever said a politically interesting thing. Um, but on the other hand, um, it does show... In, you know, I do trust his integrity, actually, generally speaking. Um, uh, sort of the, the kind of level of the sort of issues we're talking about. There, there was a tweet last night from an actress, I can't remember which one, just saying, can't someone in, in our industry please teach him how to deliver a line? No, the answer to that is no. Uh, and, and, and the reason for that is because it isn't, it isn't really acting. You can improve a bit. Margaret Thatcher did do that. And she was given lessons. And I think actually you could probably could benefit from it. But ultimately... They can't make him politically interesting when he's not really. Well, this inter- so actually, maybe it was that's interesting. A good thing for Last him. night, I was chatting to a, uh, well, I suppose quite a few Labour MPs, but one of them uh, was uh, actually quite cross that he'd done a statement at all. It was we had Keir Starmer's response to the vote before Boris Johnson's, and this is a fundamentally a Conservative Party story. Why insert yourself? Why insert yourself badly into it? And I was saying, oh, that was a bit of a damn squib. When I did, I did watch it, thinking. Um, Get off! We're trying to watch the opposition to the leadership going on here. Yeah, and um, then I realised how hilarious that was, that was <laughs> as a response. But yeah, I didn't think. I just thought it was poorly conceived and poorly timed. It's not the end of the world, to be honest. This is this is a minor story. The, but, the, the main story is but about. It Boris does, Johnson but, but you're right. It does speak to uh, yes, the Labour Party are ahead. But Dominic Raab was on the show yesterday. Dominic Raab has basically tried to argue that he couldn't believe the Labour Party weren't doing much better, given how bad everything else was, which is a reasonable point. It's not a bad point. Not, I mean, an odd one for a cabinet minister in the government to make, but it's a reasonable point. Um, and there is that, isn't there, Patrick, that if, if, if on these big moments, actually when people are tuning in, you know, my phone was lit up yesterday with people who were not political people, wanting to know what was going on, was he going to go, what do people say? They're tuning into this. And if they then see Keir Starmer, he delivers this slightly pointless, robotic, un- uneventful, um, you know, thing without any, uh, um, you know, none of it then lodges in people's minds, then he's not capitalising on these moments. And at some point... Danny says he's never said anything politically interesting. Is it possible he just doesn't have anything interesting to say? And does that matter? It may not matter. I mean, we we may still be a couple of years away from a general election and just keeping on keeping on, but the nation isn't crying out for Keir Starmer. And oddly, the best thing that could happen to the Labour Party is if Starmer gets a fine from Durham Constabulary um, and has to stand down. I... um... (sighs) He's not impressive, and and when you're trying to think what he's actually said, what sticks in the mind is things like um, you can have a penis and be a woman, and and, and that turns off some of the electorate, um, even though it's a more nuanced issue than than, than Twitter would would allow. I just don't think we have a cost of living crisis, and Labour should be hammering the fact that under this government, um, people can't afford to heat their homes and they they can't afford to eat. I mean, I think we should be. You're absolutely right, and I'll obviously, obviously said a version of that too. Um, I think we should be careful not to get carried away from it. It by in the end, the Conservative Party is split. It has low leadership approval ratings of a leader it's decided to keep, 
and the economy is doing badly. When you're the leader of the opposition, being all right should be enough. I, I completely, I completely share Patrick's assessment of Keir Starmer, um, and um, I think it is the reason why they're not doing brilliantly. And I think it's uh, that he also has some, not made any decisive. Uh, decisive choices in terms of his coalition either. So there are lots of things that I think he's put off. Uh, but Labour could actually deprive the Conservative Party of a majority, not necessarily win one itself, but deprive it of a majority with fairly little. And the big story yesterday, whatever the the, the correct observations about Keir Starmer, wasn't really about Keir Starmer. I'd, I'd love to know your view, Danny, on one thing the Tories could do to to fight back against, against Labour is against threats of a general strike. And we had a big London-wide strike yesterday. The, the unions are now talking about bearing their muscles even more. Labour are going to be scared to take them on on that. Yeah. Is that something that the, for the Conservatives to fight the back against? politics of inflation are certainly difficult for Labour. But the truth is that um, during much of the... The reason we had the 1970s was that the electorate supported quite a lot of anti-inflation cost of living strikes um, and wanted a government that could deal with the unions and on some basis. And only when that really ran out as an approach and people learnt, you know, which took, which took the best part of 15 years, did the electorate turn to an alternative approach. And even then, only, you know, by, by a smaller smallish margin then then it was appreciated it did work and uh, there was more support for it but that folk memory has probably died out yeah. and you might well start that cycle again so i don't i i think it is a challenge for labor uh, i think they will have some questions and i'd done a program with their transport uh, shadow spokesman his answers were terrible on the question of strikes he was all over the shop he didn't know what what to say really so it's a big challenge for them but the assumption we're making, which is that the electorate will side with the the kind of the employers against the employees in strikes, that isn't really borne out by um, you know by a lot of the experience we had with. Uh, we're siding the with the customers rather than the employees, isn't it? Yes, that's true. And and, and look, that argument works for me completely. Uh, it's it's probably one of the main reasons why I'm a conservative, um, and. Um, you know, I think those strikes, in the end, they're striking against their own jobs and their own standard of living, that's why. And disrupting everybody else's life as well, because I think that in the long run, it's impossible for them to strike up their wages, right? Yeah. But uh, because that's, that's economically impossible, yeah. unless they're exploiting a monopoly. Um, so uh, that's one of the range of reasons I'm a Conservative, but that doesn't mean it's politically, it may work with me, but that doesn't mean, unfortunately, that it'll necessarily work with the electorate. Danny Fink will start in Patrick Kidd there. Of course, you can read them at the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesfedbox. Up next is my day in Parliament. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. So I've hot-footed it from Times Radio Towers in London Bridge. Uh, I'm now in Westminster. It's what... Oh, I thought I can look at Big Ben, can't I? Because the, uh, the clock face is now fully restored. It is, what, just after 2.30 here in Westminster. As things stand right now, just over 100 Conservative MPs have publicly endorsed or backed the Prime Minister. I mean, obviously, some of them might be telling porky pies, which seems very unlikely, because no one would ever expect a an MP to uh, say one thing in public and do something different in private. But that's still quite a long way short of the 180 that he needs to get over the line. And a long way short of the sort of numbers he needs to probably put this uh, issue to bed. Right now, as I've been walking in, I've been listening to uh, Nadine Doris. She's been out and about on the uh, on the rounds, saying she's not worried at all about the uh, confidence votes. And she's uh, <laughs> denied that the Prime Minister was a dead man walking. Uh, so that's good. Uh, that's all going very well. Uh, her feud with Jeremy Hunt continues. Some dispute, I have to say, from some MPs I've been messaging, uh, as to whether or not uh, who's coming out best out of that. Jeremy Hunt said it was time for a change and he'd be voting against Boris Johnson. The Dean Doris said, well, you were a rubbish health secretary. And uh, if we'd done what you wanted, uh, Jeremy Corbyn would have been Prime Minister. So back in your box. And some people say, well, that's uh, probably done some support for... Uh, Boris Johnson, others saying actually Nadine Doris going studs up on a former cabinet colleague is, uh, is not a uh, fair game and saying that it might mean that, that more MPs might, might vote uh, against uh, Boris Johnson. But with what? Just uh, three and a half hours to go until the uh, vote gets underway. Let's head in then uh, to Westminster and, uh, and see what the mood is. Just walking into Portcullis House, first person I can see is Andrew Bridgen. So I think I'll give him a wide berth and go and see who else I can chat down. Right, so we're abandoning Portcullis House then and going down the uh, escalators. Just go underneath the road. And on to the main parliamentary estate. So I've just bumped into John Stevens off of the Daily Mail. And John, who's, who's just walked past us, probably pretending to be on the phone? So walking really, really quickly, <laughs> you know, almost didn't catch him because he was so slight and he went so quickly, but it was Jeremy Hunt on his phone, looking very busy and very important. Just leaving another prank voicemail for Nadine Doris, lovely. <laughs> John, what's your, what's your sense of the mood? Uh, what, what time are we now? It's almost three o'clock. I think this morning, even the rebels just thought we've got no chance of doing this. You know, we might be able to inflict a bit of a wound, get a sizable number voting against him, but there's no chance of actually doing it. As the day's gone on, there is a lot of nervousness from people on Boris Johnson's side who start to think, oh, hang on a minute, have we got this in the bag? And there's a weird calculation, isn't there? That if, if, he, if he were to win by only a small majority, 
he could be so badly wounded that he's just miserable for the next few months. So if you were wavering as a Tory MP, you might think, oh, let's just get this thing over with. That actually, talk of it being close doesn't necessarily help Boris Johnson. No, a lot of them, I think, think just to rip off the plaster, get this done. If we're going to have a messy leadership contest, get it done, get it out of the way. I think if Boris Johnson does manage to scrape it, he is going to have to find some way to do a reset so it doesn't look like his leadership's in terminal decline. John, it's nice to see. I'll let you go back to hovering in corners and picking up gossip. So just coming up to four o'clock now, Boris Johnson due here any moment for his big moment addressing the 1922 committee in the uh, booth void room. It's well, the upstairs of uh, Port Colour's house, one of the biggest meeting rooms uh, available. It's pretty, looking pretty busy, it has to be said. Uh, there's currently a negotiation going on between security guards and journalists as to whether or not uh, we can use the seats outside. Uh, oh, just arriving there, Chris Heaton-Harris, the chief whip, he's got a busy day on his hands. Took quite the ring round today to try and persuade Tory MPs to back the Prime Minister. Uh, we'll find out in a few hours' time as to whether or not that's worth. Okay, Boris Johnson's just gone in, my bang on four o'clock, uh, which is very good for him. Uh, timekeeping that always being his strongest point. Uh, he's just gone in with, well, his chief of staff, Steve Barclay, but also, interestingly, Rishi Sunak and Dominic Raab, sort of, uh, in a sort of Praetorian guard as he went in. I mean, a fair amount of banging on tables. I mean, you can make your own joke as to whether or not they were banging their heads or not. Uh, but a reasonable amount of noise to welcome the Prime Minister as he arrived into the Boothroyd room to, I mean, essentially give one of the most important speeches of his political life. Patrick McGuire, Red Box Editor's turn up. So what are you hearing from people in the room? He's been citing the examples of President Putin and Zelensky as the reason for Tory MPs not to pull the trigger. He said President Zelensky told him this morning that he wanted a strong UK. Now, of course, you could read that either way. God, the thrum of applause is almost deafening as I read these tweets out to you. He told Tory MPs, let's not dance to the tune of the media. He also had a bit of a spat, bit of handbags with Mark Harper, the former chief whip, who, number 10, suspect has been the ringleader of this he asked why colleagues should continue to defend the indefensible when last week the Prime Minister removed references to honesty and integrity from the forward to the ministerial code. Boris Johnson furrowed his brow, to which Mark Harper said, there's no point the Prime Minister pulling a face at me. There we are, that's live, live colour from inside the room. Well, literally in the last few moments, Boris Johnson has left the room. Uh, he's gone out of a different exit to the one we were necessarily expecting. Uh, uh, Steve Barclay's chief of staff and Chancellor Rishi Sunak very close behind. Uh, Pretty Patel not far behind. And now it's what? So it's now just gone 25 past four. It's an hour and a half until the ballot actually opens. Uh, and a couple of hours after that before we actually get the result. Oh, look who we've bumped into. Busy, busy. He's got a frothy coffee. It's Labour's Jonathan Ashworth. Well, I've just been at DWP Questions, uh, hammering the government over their failure on employment. You deserve a frothy coffee. I deserve a skinny cappuccino. Now, as a long um, veteran survivor of the Ed Miliband and Jeremy Corbyn years... And Gordon ha- Brown, And Gordon Brown, of course. You work for Gordon Brown. many coups in the Gordon Brown. Yeah, how, Attempted coups in them how, days. How, how does it feel to see it all going on on the other side? I mean, I was in Downing Street and there were various attempted attempts to oust Gordon Brown. But I think there was a difference in as much as Gordon Brown had a clear sense of mission. He had a plan to respond to the global economic crash. There is no sense of mission, there's no sense of plan from this Downing Street. You just have a sort of prime minister buffeted by events. Very good. I'll let you go off and have your frothy coffee. Nice to see you, John. Are you with me? 
And now, fresh from briefing a massive group of journalists, I've now got James Cleverly, Foreign Office Minister, on my own. Uh, do you worry that even if he wins, did, like the genie's out of the bottle a bit, at 54, at least 54 of your colleagues have said they want rid of him? Is it really difficult? I mean, you were there under the Theresa May. You know, once you have this, it's really difficult, isn't it, to stop it just grinding on? Yeah, look, um, it is very different to what happened with uh, with uh, Theresa, who, who I've got a huge amount of respect for. But got to remember, she she got the leadership uncontested, um, and we slipped backwards at the general election that she led us into. Boris had the overwhelming support of the Conservative Party when he became leader and got an 80-seat majority at the subsequent general election. So if he gets the green light from the Parliamentary Party, you know he would have had the party in the country give him the thumbs up. The country at the general election given the thumbs up and the parliamentary party given the thumbs up. I think those are three things that you can point to to, to say, quite rightly, that he is a, a, a prime minister with a job of work to go on. So let's head in and uh, head up to the, uh, the press gallery. All the journalists are, are hanging out and trying to make sense of what is going on. One or two more bits coming out of the briefing with uh, senior Downing Street sources. Uh, Patrick Maguire has uh, reported that Boris Johnson told Tory MPs I'd do it again when asked about the conduct described in the Sue Gray report. Number 10 had desperately tried to hose that one down again uh, by saying that, oh no, he meant the, the saying goodbye to people in leaving dues. Although, strictly speaking, that's exactly the thing that winds people up because they didn't, weren't able to say goodbye to people who were dying. Uh, separately, George Grills uh, from The Times reporting the, I think, the same senior Tory party source giving a briefing. Uh, while trying to explain why Boris Johnson was going to save his premiership, asked journalists who hasn't got pissed in their lives, which, again, I'm not completely convinced is, um, is hugely effective. Oh, I've bumped into Lucy Fisher. Well, then, Lucy, it's what? It's nearly six o'clock now. It's nearly six o'clock. Let's see who, which keen bean Tory MPs are queuing up to, uh, to be the first to vote. I'm also interested to see, Matt, if there are Tory whips loitering menacingly outside the room. So we've just come out of the press gallery a bit, which is a bit just okay, but it's a bit um, dull. Uh, we're now on the committee corridor, which is exactly as you'd expect. It's wood-lined, lots of big portraits. I'll put portrait of Churchill there, but I should not like that one. Big, gaudy, sort of pugeing carpet, lots of green leather and brass knobs and all of that. And this is where so much of political history actually gets played out, Lucy. And it's the bit that people don't actually get to see. In fact, that bit of carpet there has been sort of gaffer-taped down. Uh, in fact, there's another bit more gaffer tape there as well. There's also uh, lots of moth traps around the place as I well. I think they're mice as well. Mice as well. Mice well, and mice traps as well. So that's it. It's six o'clock. The ballots have opened for the next two hours. Conservative MPs can vote on Boris Johnson's future. I think that's Peter Bottomley, the father of the House, most senior, long-serving Conservative MP, was first in the queue. Uh, Grant Shapps, Transport Secretary, was in amongst them. Uh, quite a lot of ministers all here to show that they're supporting the Prime Minister, we assume. Uh, and then slightly awkwardly, um, some people who called for Boris Johnson to go, including uh, the former minister Nick Gibb, uh, tucked in amongst them. Uh, I have to say, about 30-odd MPs probably in the queue outside. Most of them were men. Read into that what you will. It's almost like they might want the attention of the journalists being here. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, there's, there's a long, there's a long uh, two hours ahead and another hour-long wait uh, as MPs finally cast out ballot as to whether or not they want Boris Johnson to continue as Conservative leader and Prime Minister.
One thing watching MPs going in and voting is they've been told to hand in their mobile phones so they don't take pictures of their ballot papers. I've just bumped into uh, one uh, minister, uh, ally supporter of Boris Johnson, uh, admitting they think it might be around 100 Tory MPs who would vote against him tonight. I mean, that's an awful lot. Uh, It's not uh, anything like the scale that Theresa May suffered. But it's worth remembering, 100 (laughs) Conservative MPs voting against Boris Johnson would be pretty bad. But that's the current view from an ally of Boris Johnson. I've now wandered down to, I'll be honest, Strangers Bar, uh, treating myself to a a small beer. And uh, on the way down, bumped into an MP on the back stairs who did vote against Boris Johnson wants to get rid of him, but predicts that the Prime Minister will win and asks what happens now, and they said they'll make an absolute horlix of it. And the problem is that once you say you don't have faith in the Prime Minister, there's no way of taking that back. Well, here's an interesting thing. Just, what is it, quarter to seven. We've had our first resignation of the afternoon. Uh, We obviously saw this morning, it was John Penrose, the anti-corruption czar. Uh, He resigned, saying that he thought the Prime Minister had broken the ministerial code. Well, now John Lamont, Scottish Tory MP, uh, has resigned his PPS, or ministerial aid, to Liz Truss in order to vote against the Prime Minister. In all, we're now looking at, I think, four of the six Scottish Conservative MPs have now come out against uh, Boris Johnson. I think the interesting thing about John Lamont is that's it. One of the things that has held throughout the day, at least so far, is there have been no ministerial resignations. The entire panel, not just the cabinet, all junior ministers, have held the line. Uh, they've not all of them in public have said they're backing uh, Boris Johnson. Pen- Penny Morden, in particular, all eyes on her as she tweeted that she was going to be in her constituency in Portsmouth on D-Day. But so far, and this is probably the bit of drama the day has lacked thus far. Uh, no ministerial resignations, and I just wonder what that means going forward. Uh, I'm certainly going to make it a bit harder for Boris Johnson if, as some suspect, later on this week he decides to have a reshuffle. Right, so the clock ticks on, it's just gone seven o'clock, so they've been voting for an hour now, uh, they've got another hour to go. Uh, interesting stat for you we've just passed 150 Tory MPs who have backed Boris Johnson publicly. Uh, that's quite a bit short of the 180 he actually needs to vote for him. In, in both raw numbers and percentage terms, that is less than the number of people who had backed Theresa May at noon on the day of her no-confidence vote in 2018, which tells you something. Uh, Tory WhatsApp is alive with... Uh, I'm not going to libel the MP, the minister in question, in case they come back onto the estate at 5 uh, to 8. But a... A minister, known to be no fan of Boris Johnson, was spotted leaving the estate at 10 to 6. So you've got to factor in abstentions as well. Um, one bit of fashion news to bring you. Theresa May, who, uh, Patrick, I assume we can assume is not voting for Boris Johnson? Well, I mean, she wouldn't say. She was asked as she went in and she wouldn't say. Uh, anyway, uh, Theresa May turned up wearing a ball gown. Um, Oh, she will. She's dressing for the occasion. <laughs> dressing for the occasion. Maybe already planning the uh, leaving party, which, as we know, uh, Boris Johnson is a fan of as well. So, uh, with an hour to go, Boris Johnson doesn't have a majority of Tory MPs backing him publicly, but it's going to be a little while yet before we find out how many of them are going to back him uh, in this crucial vote of confidence.
Right, so Boris Johnson has gone in and out, uh, refusing to answer any questions about how he'll be voting. Right, so what is it now? It's now uh, 7.35. Uh, joining me now, Charlotte Ivers, Times Radio Political Correspondent. Charlotte, what are you hearing? Tell us the mood. It's all rather chaotic, to be honest, Matt. I am hearing numbers in every which way direction from Conservative MPs. Most of them seem to be falling around the 130 mark or so, but I've heard as low as 80, one person going for 174 against Boris Johnson, which basically is everything from the range of complete disaster to him absolutely surviving and thriving. Well, I was going to say not long to go now. There's still quite a long way to go. Uh, There's another 25 minutes of voting and then probably another hour of them counting uh, the votes. Charlotte, nice to see And that's it. The polls have closed. The counting now begins. We think it's going to be about an hour before we finally find out. Uh, Two things I think are interesting. Under 160 Tory MPs and ministers have gone on the record to say they back Boris Johnson. That's fewer than half of all Tory MPs. Other thing that's interesting. In December 2018, David Cameron tweeted... I hope Conservative MPs will back the PM in the vote today. Today, David Cameron did not tweet. So read into that what you will. Uh, So now it's just a question of uh, joining the queue to make sure we get into the room as we make the result and learn Boris Johnson's fate. So it's number 23 to get in the room. What were you, Patrick? 28. Uh, just describe the room. If you were going to find a room to use in a low-budget drama that looked a bit like the House of Commons, this is it. Or, or a, you know, I'm pretty sure this room was used in uh, Chariots of Fire, the second, <laughs> the second Harry Potter film, one of the Narnias. It is a parody of a, well, as much of this palace is, but let's not get too into uh, gothic revivalism, a, a parody of an English uh, public school stately home. It is the archetypal Commons Committee room. Uh, so we've got green, I'm going to say flock wallpaper, uh, a touch of your parochial Indian restaurants, uh, lots of big portraits around uh, the room. It's filling up with journalists and MPs, mostly supporters of, of Boris Johnson. I'd say it's a pretty even spread thus far. David Davis has just entered. Aaron Bell, who's another prominent critic of the Prime Minister, is sat just in front of us. Much like the party, it's divided and unpredictable. All of human life is here. Oh, so here we go. So Graham Brady and the members of the 1922 committee have entered the room to deliver the verdict on Boris Johnson. Good evening. Uh, I can report as returning officer uh, that 359 ballots were cast, no spoiled ballots, that the vote in favour uh, of having confidence in Boris Johnson as leader was 211 votes, and the vote against was 148 votes. And therefore, I can announce that the Parliamentary Party does have confidence. Wayne Brady leaves the room with the rest of the 1922 committee. Patrick Maguire is still with me and has been all day. 148 against. Uh, worse in percentage terms than Theresa May. That's what matters. It's at the upper end of anything anybody was predicting, nearly 150. Um, I, like so many of my colleagues here, I'm an arts graduate who can't do mental maths, but that's a big number. 
41% of the parliamentary party has no confidence in Boris Johnson. Is that sustainable? Well, look, 148 people, if uh, to act as a coherent entity, which is a big if, can grind the government, business of this government to a halt. And that's before the public have their say in two crucial by-elections in both the red and blue wall. So it's a pretty parlous position for a prime minister to be in. I've just come out of the oak-panelled room where the announcement was made. Boris Johnson has won his vote of confidence, but it's a thin victory. 211 Conservative MPs voting in favour, uh, 148 voting against. Uh, that's much worse than anyone really expected. Uh, it's much worse than even his supporters feared. It's much, much better than lots of his critics uh, might have hoped for. More than 40% of Conservative MPs now say they have no confidence in Boris Johnson. Just to put that in some historical context, that's worse than when Margaret Thatcher uh, initially beat Michael Heseltine in his leadership challenge. It's worse than when John Major beat John Medwood uh, in uh, the mid-90s. It's worse than when Theresa May won her vote of confidence back in 2018. The thing to remember with all of those... If they weren't in office much longer afterwards, Margaret Thatcher was gone within a matter of weeks, Theresa May within a matter of months, and John Major led the Conservatives to a crushing defeat in 1997. If Boris Johnson is going to find a way to avoid that fate, he needs to come up with a plan which has so far eluded him. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.